Good morning. Uh, for those of you do who don't know me, my name is Claire. Um, I'm more often to be found at the 11 o'clock service or jumping around with various children's groups, um, but it is a real pleasure to be worshipping here with you this morning. So in our reading, we've heard the devil tempting Jesus three times in the wilderness. And I expect that for many of us, this is quite a familiar passage. But I wonder if it can also feel rather remote to us. It isn't always easy or comfortable, is it, to think about the devil at work to, or to see the temptations that we face today in the context of a spiritual battle. But the Bible is clear that the devil isn't something historical and that evil is something we will all have to deal with. And I think we only have to look at what is happening in Ukraine to see that very clearly today. So I'm hoping we can look at this passage with fresh eyes this morning and think about what it's saying to us in Winchester in 2022 and the temptations that maybe we face. I wonder if any of you remember the case of Anna Sorokin, or as she was also known, Anna Delvey. She was a fake heiress who was convicted in New York in 2019 of swindling friends, acquaintances, businesses, and even banks out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. She was brought up in a small town in rural Germany, but when she was 18, she moved to Paris to work as an intern on a fashion magazine. It seems she was pretty good at her job. She certainly impressed her boss, who invited her to go to all sorts of work events with him. There, she made lots of other connections, and through these, she got herself invited to go to New York. But when she turned up in New York, she wasn't Anna Sorokin, as ordinary girl from an ordinary family in a quiet country town in Germany. She was now Anna Delvey, heiress to a multi-million dollar fortune. Over the next four years, she managed to convince a great many people that she really was that rich and that she was going to set up a charitable arts foundation to support young artists, um, that she really was the next big thing on the New York art scene. She perfected the knack of checking into hotels without giving any payment details in advance. When the bill got too large, she just disappeared. And of persuading those around her to foot the bill for ever more outrageously luxurious escapades, always with the excuse that the tight security her parents placed around her inheritance meant that her credit cards didn't always work and she'd pay people back very soon. Anna's defense when she was finally caught and put on trial was that you have to fake it to make it. And that had she continued, she could have made it all work, ended up just as rich as she was pretending to be, and then she'd have paid it all back. So, what does the case of Anna Sorokin, a fraudster par excellence, have to do with Jesus' temptations in the wilderness? Well, I think it tells us quite a bit about the temptations that can rule us in the affluent 21st century West, and that means that understanding Jesus' responses is all the more vital. The devil's first temptation goes right to the heart of the problem. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, I'm sure you know that feeling of indignation when your identity or qualifications or abilities are questioned. And what do we all want to do in that situation? We want to prove ourselves. And the devil gives Jesus the ideal way to give that proof. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Not only had the very essence of Jesus' identity been questioned, but he was incredibly hungry, having been fasting in the wilderness for 40 days. The temptation to prove his credentials to the devil and get a square meal out of it in the process 
would have been overwhelming for you or for me. Anna Sorokin felt that she was more important, more special than people realized. She felt that she deserved a more extraordinary background instead of just being a normal girl from an ordinary family in a quiet part of Germany. She looked through the pages of fashion magazines and high society magazines, and she felt that was where she truly belonged. If only she could find a way to prove to everyone that was where she really fitted in. That was who she really was. How many of us have, at one time or another, felt that we deserved more? We're not getting the respect or the appreciation we deserve. Now, I'm sure most of us have never gone as far as pretending to be a multi-million dollar heiress, but that temptation feels familiar. The temptation to make ourselves sound just a little more important, just a little more intelligent, just a little more well-connected, just a little more spiritual than we really are. In Winchester, where people are too often impressed by the car we drive or the clothes we wear, the places we go to on holiday, do we fall into the temptation of faking it just a little bit? Maybe we can withstand the temptation to eat that slice of chocolate cake, but the temptation to sound as if we're more in the know at work than we really are, as if we're more connected to the decision makers than we really are, as if we're more well-read than we really are. Maybe those temptations are harder to withstand. Jesus, who would not have been faking it if he had turned the stone to bread, he'd only have been delivering a clear proof of his identity, was of course ready for the challenge. He was so secure in his identity that he didn't need to prove it. His answer, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, reminds us that there are more important aspects to our identities than the material things that others can see or the people we might claim to know well or the places we've read or the places we've visited or the books we've read our identity in Christ is the most important sense of identity we can have and there is no need for us to prove it to anyone when Anna Sorokin tried to find her identity in the imaginary heiress Anna Delvey and plenty of others today tried to find their identities in so many other pretenses. We know that our true identity can only be found in Jesus Christ, who didn't need to prove it to anyone. So the devil tried another temptation. Taking Jesus up to a high place so that they could see all the kingdoms of the world, the devil offered Jesus authority over all of it, so long as he worshipped him. Imagine that, to rule over all the kingdoms of the world. We know how powerful a temptation that has been to people throughout history, and it is to people right now on the edge of our continent. The temptation to power is hard to withstand, and at this point, Jesus wasn't yet a well-known itinerant preacher, teacher, and healer. He wasn't yet a man around whom crowds would gather, eager to see what he'd do in their town. He was just Jesus a carpenter's son from a backwater town in Galilee. And yet here he was being offered authority over all the kingdoms of the world. It feels today like that's a trade Vladimir Putin is tempted to take. At her trial, Anna Sorokin said that it wasn't the money she wanted per se. It was the power. She liked living the high life. She liked being able to walk into the best restaurants and hotels and be recognized. It was mainly about the sense of power that gave her. 
When she was Anna Delvey, multi-million dollar heiress, people cared about what she thought. People looked up to her. It gave her authority. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. It's nice, isn't it, when someone seeks out your opinion, when someone looks up to you. I quite like being in charge of things, getting to make the decisions. But it's also easy to let that go to our heads. It's easy to like being in charge of things because of the praise we get. It's easy to make it sound like we're more important than we really are because then other people will treat us as if we are that important. It's easy to be led into that gossipy chat because by sharing secrets, we gain a little power over those around us. It's easy to criticize those in leadership because it makes us sound important and clever instead of working constructively to improve things. Again, though, Jesus, of course, shows us the way forward. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, Jesus is secure enough in his own identity that he can sweep away that offer of authority over all the kingdoms of the world. He knows that worshipping and serving God is the only way to live a life of true authority and importance. When we see ourselves as God sees us, when we take God's view as the only one that matters, when we try to live out our God-given purposes, then our need to be seen as important in worldly terms will evaporate well, I don't know about you, but I know that for me, this one is still very much a work in progress. So the devil has one last try. He returns to his first trick by starting out, if you are the son of God. But this time, he makes the challenge all the more insidious. Have you noticed that both times Jesus rebutted the devil, he quoted scripture? There's a great lesson for us there, too, about rooting our identity and security in God's word so that we're ready to withstand the world's temptations. But the devil is canny, and he can sometimes use our strength against us. This time he, the devil, quotes scripture at Jesus. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift up their hands so that you will not strike a foot against a stone. Well, that's hard. Jesus has withstood the temptation to prove his identity, the temptation to provide food even though he's incredibly hungry, the temptation to have ultimate power and authority. But now he's being asked to prove that scripture is true. How can it be a bad thing to prove that God's word is indeed that, the true and reliable word of God? How can it be a bad thing to prove that when God makes a promise, he keeps it? As with so much else, it comes down to motivation. If I want to give generously to a friend's charity fundraiser to prove that I'm their closest friend or to make them indebted to me or to show off that I have a lot of money, that's something I need to avoid. If I want to donate because I genuinely believe in the aims of that charity, that's great. If I offer to pray for someone, so that I can look super spiritual, or to test whether God will answer that prayer. I need to do some serious work on my own heart before I work with anyone else. However, if that prayer is genuine and heartfelt, God will be pleased to listen to it. Jesus knew that calling upon angels to save him so that he could prove his identity and the truth of God's promises to the devil was not a good motivation. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Yet again, Jesus won the contest hands down, and the devil slinks off to the sidelines. Not forever, though. 
only until an opportune time. So where do we take this journey through temptation and how to withstand it? Well, firstly, we need to be secure in who we are in God. Just like Anna Sorokin, who felt that she deserved to be more extraordinary, we can also feel that we were made to be more or to be different. And we're right. So many people like Anna take it upon themselves to find that more or that different. In many different ways, like her, they are all faking it to make it. But that hunger for more is God-given. God made us to be extraordinary, but we can't fake it to make it. We only realize our full, extraordinary potential when we submit ourselves to God and to his plans and purposes for our lives. When we live out our identities as beloved children of God, the temptation to pretend to be anything else melts away. Secondly, we need to root our faith and our identity in scripture. Jesus would have been brought up learning huge amounts of the scriptures by heart. And so when he's challenged by the devil, he has just the right answers at his fingertips. Now, I'm rather envious of this. I did not learn much of the Bible as a child. And I find it hard to retain key verses now. But whether we find it easy to learn chunks of the Bible or not, we can all commit to reading our Bibles daily so that we're steeped in God's wisdom and are alert to what he's saying to us here and now through his word. And thirdly, we need to be brave enough to take that time alone with God and to face temptation head on. By the time the devil came to tempt him, Jesus had spent 40 days alone with God in the wilderness. We don't know what they talked about or the ways that Jesus prayed during that time, but we do know that by the end of it, Jesus was absolutely bulletproof. I don't know about you, to me, 40 days and fasting for 40 days sounds like an impossibly tall order. But as with all things, we need to start with where we are and not be daunted by the size of the challenge ahead of us. Just like committing to reading the Bible daily, committing to spending time in solitary prayer, listening for what God has to say in my life right here and now, is essential if I'm to withstand the temptations of the world. We have access to the wellspring of life. We have access to the power that created the world and defeated the grave. But we have to take the time to tap into that power. We have to be prepared to come to God, completely honest and vulnerable, stripped of all of those pretenses that the affluent 21st century West brings us to and let him work his life-changing power in us. Unless we are prepared to spend time in God's presence, admitting our faults and receiving his life-giving forgiveness, we will never be able to have all that God wants for us. So, we're to keep trusting in our identity in God, keep reading the Bible and praying about what it means for us today, and keep spending time honestly with God in prayer. Then we have the best chance of withstanding the temptations that the world throws at us, whether that be the temptation to pretend to be someone we're not, to pretend to know more than we do, to get involved in things we shouldn't, or, just possibly, the temptation to pretend to be a multi-million dollar heiress.